broadcasting the remarkably crowded frontier. These are the conversations of two brothers and their mom. Their 13-episode mission to explore strange old movies, to seek out new bits and new jokes, to boldly go where no mom has gone before. Welcome to the very first episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before, a Night Shift Radio original, the Star Trek movie review podcast with two brothers and their mother. I'm Captain Casey Ryan. With me tonight is Commanding XO, Colin Ryan. Hello. And oh, Admiral on the Bridge. Admiral, Admiral on, on the, the bridge. bridge. We have with us our mother, Admiral Laura Ryan. Hello. Also known as Memo. Also known as yes. Memma, yes. in certain circles. In certain, <laughs> in certain grandchildren circles. Yeah. <laughs> Colin, you have the con. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we are going to watch, or in many cases, re-watch, and in a couple of cases, re-re-re-re-watch, <laughs> every theatrical Star Trek movie, starting with Star Trek The Motion Picture of 1979 and ending with Star Trek Beyond from 2017. We'll fix that in post if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'll fix it in post. <laughs> now we are going to rewatch these movies. We're going to get together and we're going to discuss them. Both Captain Casey and I are big Star Trek fans for many years and wanted to do this podcast for a variety of reasons, not least of which is the person whom I think that we would both attribute the origin of our Star Trek fandom to mom. So this is a way of sharing some of that with her and sharing that with everybody who's listening, both of you. (laughs) Yeah, I I know we have at least one listener. Hello. (laughs) Well, you know, we're all still married, so we got three people who have to listen. Oh, Uh, it's adorable that you think my wife listens to my other (laughs) podcast. She doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Let's all just take a moment and talk about our sort of uh, history of Star Trek. Let's start with you, Mom. Did you watch the original series when it aired? No, 1966 to 1969? I didn't have a TV at that time. But the person who lived downstairs from me did, and I remember her describing it as, and when they go from ship to ship, they just go, and then they just, all this sparkly stuff, and they just disappear, and then they appear on the other ship. And I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And then, so do you remember when you first encountered it yourself? No. No? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That's okay. I don't have a re- recollection of, I think I would say that Star Trek has just always been a part of our lives. See, I do remember. Oh, go ahead then. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm, I'm interested to hear you say that. So my memory, and, you know, who knows uh, if there's a Mandela effect or, or constructed memory here, but my memory is that it was coming on... Uh, like a late afternoon, early evening, maybe a five o'clock kind of time syndication. Sure. On, uh, um, this would be the original series, and I, my, in my memory, I'm older than six, younger than ten. Do you remember where okay. we were living? Yeah, this is Farmington, and I, in fact, I remember because I was playing in the rounded top of the driveway, and you, mom, came out and said. Star Trek was coming on. 
And I think it was the beginning of they were running it, like it had been in the newspaper. Oh, it's good. Because in my memory, the episode is Where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot. Right. The first one that, that had Kirk. And I said, well, what's that? And and you kind of, I just remember you being like, well, you know, but you don't know what Star Trek is? <laughs> because I, so at some point in between the, the downstairs neighbor who went, <laughs> and that it had become cultural currency for you, as I suspect it did for most people. Sure. And you, but you said, I think you'll like it. And I came in and it was just like, <sighs> love it for a sight. Uh-huh. And, and so that we came. So that's what I mean by it's this thing that has been, you know, a really important and beloved fandom in my life. You know, I owe pretty directly to you because that is my memory of the first time I saw Star Trek. My strongest memory is next gen. Us mm-hmm. all sitting down to watch mm-hmm. Encounter at Farpoint. And no. <laughs> you and dad, mom, being like, I don't understand. What's this? Why is this captain so calm and cool? Where's the swagger? You know, I, those are the things I remember. Now, admittedly, first season of every Star Trek show in the history of ever is super rough to get through. But I think Next Gen holds the high watermark of rough first season. That was See, Luke, right? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite bits is <laughs> my buddy Andrew about a year or so ago. Well, gosh, it was probably more like two years ago. A year or so before the quarantine, which was a year ago. Uh, <laughs> he he started watching, and he knew I was a fan. He said, oh, I've been watching. I really like it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how, how far have you seen this season? He said, oh, no, I'm only, like, halfway through the first season. And I texted Casey. I'm like, my buddy Andrew really likes it, and he's only seen the first season. Casey's like, oh, he, he really likes it. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're sold by the first season, it's just like Deep Space Nine. If you can make it to them getting the Defiant, good the rest of the way. Yeah. Was this original or, or next generation? Ne- next, generation. Like, next generation. Now, next gen. The original series actually starts off pretty well. I mean, you're like only four or five episodes in, you're getting stone cold classics like Balance of Terror. Yep. It was because it was something that was so different. It was totally yeah. different from anything else that was on TV. How so? Well, first of all, it was set in space and it made sense. It wasn't like Robbie, oh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the lost in space thing. And it was intelligent. And yes, Jim did overact, but he's a He's a theater person. <laughs> That's what he does. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was it was just so different, and people yeah. were ready for that. So, do you feel like it was something you watched at any point in the seventies when it was on sort of constant syndication? Yeah, I did watch them. Yeah, I did. But you got to remember, in the seventies, you kids were not born. <laughs> I wasn't born. Casey, and- Casey wasn't born. I was 14 <laughs> months old when the film we'll be discussing this evening came out. Really? December of 19... Oh, well, maybe I'm doing my, my, my edition wrong. I, a few more than 16 months old. It came out basically Christmas of 1979. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of the Star Trek movies were Christmas movies up until the J.J. Uh, reboot. Most of them yeah. came around the at least the holidays. I think maybe the last couple next-gen ones were like... Thanksgiving time. But Casey, you're absolutely right. My, I have strong memories of us watch, continuing to watch Next Generation, which was syndicated, if I recall, like Friday or Saturday nights, or maybe it was Sunday nights. Um, Sunday nights. It was Sunday nights, and we would watch it as a family. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember making Kraft macaroni and cheese and drinking orange soda. 
And that was like the traditional meal to have with Star Trek. And we watched as a family. We talked about it afterwards. And it was water cooler television for the water cooler of our family room. Um, (laughs) But that was great because, I mean, I think... I think it was a vehicle for us to discuss ethics, morality, Which humanism, what, you know, at its best. It's a conversation starter about conversations that you might not have otherwise. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's where next gen shines. Oh, sure. But it's, that's where Star Trek can shine, you know. Sure. And we get that a couple times in these movies. Do you remember when we were watching these? Do you remember the episode where Kirk... Is forced to kiss Ahura. Do you remember us discussing the black white thing? That was just no. we just didn't Well, you know that that you know that many, many, many stations in the South refused to show that episode oh, when it originally aired. It was extremely controversial. It was television's first interracial kiss. Uh second. First American oh, uh, for Ameri- British American television, show that- yes. Mom, have you ever seen Deep Space Nine? I watched some of it. It I didn't and grab me. That is exactly the same story for me. I bailed by, by the middle of the second season. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, I went back, and there are, there are several online guides that are like, eh, here are the episodes you can skip. Here are the ones you should definitely watch. And it really does build to an extraordinarily satisfying, hey, if you're looking for something to watch in quarantine. Uh, it, Hopefully it's, we're uh, not going to be in that much longer. Yeah, but it is a really – there's a lot of good stuff in that show. Here's the simple way that I put it. TNG is my favorite Star Trek. Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek. That's probably true. It is so good. It, it not only does stuff about humanity and all the things that we were talking about, it holds a mirror up to who we were up to becoming the Federation. Hmm. There's, it's, it's, really, it's a really great show. Well, let me get through Discovery. <laughs> You're just going to be all Star Trek all the time. <laughs> that, I, I'm sure the folks at Paramount would really like that to be true. <laughs> Okay, that was really cool to reminisce about how uh, Star Trek has influenced our lives. Why don't we spend a little time doing some of the production stuff of this? And Colin, you had an idea for the name of this. What did you want to call this? We're going to call this the Shakedown Cruise. All right, let's call it the Shakedown Cruise. Um, Mom, do you have anything? Admirals go first, obviously. Do you have any production notes? Anything that you... No? Okay, that's fine. The only production notes I have is what you have told me about how it was funded and stuff, so I'll let you do that. Okay. Now, well, but let me ask this. Did you, you, I assume you probably didn't see this in the theater. Oh, God, no, I didn't. Because remember, you guys I, were Because you had a one-year, you had one-year-old yeah, me. You didn't have Casey. And again, no I, Casey. I, I, 1981. There's no Casey in here. No, this is this is my movie. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even. I, I don't remember the first time I saw it, except that I didn't understand it. And the second time I saw it, I didn't understand it. <laughs> and the third time I saw it, it was like, mm, okay. And then last night when I watched the director's cut, they put, we'll discuss that. Yeah. We'll talk, yeah, it's, yeah. Still, but I, it's still not a very clear movie. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. So the journey for this movie is a long mm-hmm. one. Uh, Star Trek goes off the air in 1969 after having a third season that was really entirely by one of the first mass fan campaigns. Mm-hmm. It had been uh, intended to be canceled and was brought back for a, a final season. We were talking about before it goes into syndication, despite only having 79 episodes, you usually need 100. But they put it in syndication and it did gangbusters. And actually an interesting thing that I learned in some of the research for this was 1969 was the last year that they did raw viewing numbers. Hmm. 
this many, that they only looked at this many people watch something. That was the year they started doing this many people in this demographic. Mm. They found that Star Trek was enormously popular with young adult males. Go figure. <laughs> the devil, you say. And that was a demographic they really wanted. Mm -hmm. So that helped kind of keep it alive. And as early as 1974, Gene Roddenberry was trying to find a way to resuscitate the series in one form or another. Kind of went back and forth about the idea of it being a movie. There was at one point a film planned called Star Trek Planet of the Titans. Yeah. Planet of the Titans was going to be based on some of the scripts that had been tossed around, and it was going to be really kind of leaning into a, a, a mid-70s psychedelic strangeness. There was going to be exploration of the third eye. They were going to go to the planet where the Greek titans came from, having been revealed to be aliens, which, yes, like the plot of this film, they did it already on the series. <laughs> um, you know what it was really quite inspired by was Chariots of the Gods by Eric von Duncan, the ancient astronaut idea that aliens had visited. Oh, so right. A book oh, came okay. out in 1968, uh, very po- the idea that, you know, early, that most religions were inspired by alien visitation in prehistoric or early historic times. Wasn't that covered in the original Star Trek? Yeah, uh, they they well, had some sort of, book. There, were, there was an astronaut thing in, in Next Gen. Yeah. Well, this, this the most interesting thing was that the main antagonist of the film was going to be a Klingon captain. Mm-hmm. And the intention, I don't know how far they got into this, but the intention was to cast Toshiro Mufuni. I don't know who that is. Star of uh, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Throne of Blood, a Japanese actor Ooh. who is basically, he was the... Robert De Niro to Akira Kurosawa's Martin Scorsese. They did a ton of films together. Damn. And he was, yeah. He also was George Lucas's original choice for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Right, right, right. In case you've ever wondered why Obi-Wan has a uh, Japanese name and wears that robe. Because <laughs> um, We don't have time to get into all the racist undertones no. in Star Wars. <laughs> but Mifune had been in a million samurai movies. Yeah. Okay. Um, think of Mifune like, oh, gosh, Harrison Ford in his prime. Definitely doing, like, manly dramatic roles, but also action cinema. A really terrific actor, if if you've never seen him in anything. But not a fluent speaker of English. Let alone Klingon. Well, right, exactly. But that's just fascinating to me. I had known the the Obi-Wan thing for years, but I never knew that he almost was in Star Trek. That's pretty cool. Um, So that movie never materializes. Instead, what it becomes is a television series, Star Trek Phase 2, which was going to be on the new Paramount Television Network. They were going to start a fourth network, a thing that would not actually happen until the 90s when they would start a fifth network. And, of course, now they're starting a streaming service, and what is their main offering? Star Trek. (laughs) Listen, they're going to milk the cow. (laughs) Well, Voyager was was the flagship in 95 for the the UPN, yeah. So... Every time Terramont's ever tried to start a network, they've gone with Star Trek. But the network didn't happen. So what happened was all of the pre-production, including casting, building sets, design for Star Trek Phase 2, they go, we're making a movie. Now, the, the story is that Michael Eisner heard, a, heard the script for a two-hour pilot called In Thy Image. Mm-hmm. And that he said, that's a movie. And so that becomes this movie. In thy image, the script gets adapted into this. Unfortunately, it is adapted 
basically throughout the entire filming. Uh-huh. They 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 were finishing the script while they were finishing the movie. They were finishing the set the, while they were filming. V- oh, V'ger, oh yeah, absolutely. one side of V'ger, when they were filming, the other side was still being built. I'm like, this well, is insane. Here's 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 what happens with the with the the visual effects, which are obviously kind of intended to be a centerpiece of the film, oh, right? Yeah. The the first person they want. Is who you want in if it's 1979 and you want to make a space effort, they want Doug Trumbull, mm-hmm. who did 2001. So Trumbull wasn't available. Uh, whether that was a matter of, of timing or money, I'm not sure. But Trumbull wasn't available. So they turned to John Dykstra, who was, had been Doug Trumbull's assistant on 2001 and later went on to do most of the, the effects for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He's not available. So then they get Robert Abel. And they spend one year and five million nineteen seventy-eight dollars, which is not a lot of money, with Robert Abel, and they have no effects that they feel they can use. <laughs> so they fire Robert Abel. Oh man. <laughs> and they turn to Trumbull and Dykstra, the two biggest guys in the business, Dykstra having been Trumbull's protege, mm-hmm. and they can get them both. And they said, Can you do it in nine months? Ay, ay, ay. Because they had already announced the release date of September 7th, 1979, and they couldn't undo it. In those days, you couldn't push back a release date as easily mm-hmm. because movies stayed in the theater for so much longer. Uh, so they're stuck with this release date. Right. So they get the best guys in the business to do visual effects, and they give them no time to do it. And the thing went way over budget. Oh, yeah. It cost $44 million dollars. Which, again, is a lot of money in 1979. Oh, we haven't spoken about uh, the director. Robert Wise, yeah. Robert Wise, is, he's a, got an IMDb list the length of my arm mm-hmm. here, right? I mean, let's start with the one that really blows your mind. He edited Citizen Kane. Sure did. But he went on to make The Day the Earth Stood Still, West Side Story, The Haunting, which is great, mm-hmm. The Sound of Music. And the film that probably got him this job, which was The Andromeda Strain. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, I didn't realize that. Because if nothing else, this is the last big gasp of that sort of Andromeda Strain style of talky, cerebral, kind of sterile, placidly paced 70s science fiction. Con, I think the word that you are uh, struggling to find is bad. Because that isn't always bad, <laughs> but but there are there are great movies that fit that sure. that category, you know. But that whole era of sort of thinky, talky, taking our time, seventies science fiction kind of bookends with sixty eight, two thousand one, seventy nine, you know. And there's and that that all kind of lives in there. I noticed last night, and the other three times I watched it, that sometimes one actor would say something. And then would turn to the other for the other actor to say something. It was like they had this pause that really normally if you were speaking, if you were going being drawn into this thing, you would have had much more snappy conversation. And this was like they yeah. were all yeah. on claims. Yeah, <laughs> it was weird. Well, one of the notes that I saw was all the Enterprise Bridge, all the displays mm-hmm. were done with 16-millimeter uh, projectors. So there were no no actual TV monitors. They were being shot into glass so that you could see it. So everything on the bridge yeah. had to be 80 yard. So, 
So okay. everything had to be done in post. So that may have been like, okay, you can't overlap because we don't have the technology to overlap right now. ADR is looping, Mom. It's when they fill in after, uh, you know, you sit in a booth and you 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 lip sync yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's definitely part of it. But I think I think that sort of stately pace, I mean, for me, some of it is interesting because it's, it's Robert Wise, too. Like, he's sort of one of those guys. I think of him like John Frankenheimer, too. Like, he's not – he's of the studio era, but he's also kind of of the auteur era. He kind of bridges that gap, you know, where he's he's not he's not a Scorsese or a, or a, or a Coppola, where he's making intensely personal films. He's he's a director for hire, but he's not just a studio hack who, you know, I'll do a musical this week and then I'll do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of in that uh, that in between spot, and I think this film is in a lot of in between spots too. It's between the seventies and the eighties. It's between um, it's between that that science fiction era and it's you know that that talky science fiction era and what you know the future where everything is going to be an action movie, not not you know. But yeah, mom, that that sort of that the the and some of that is editing too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can cut. You can make people talk faster with editing. That's how film goes, you know? Yeah. What's interesting is it make, goes way over budget, makes 40, uh, spends $44 million, makes $139 million. So, yeah, the, is it, it was a surprise success. They were, they were rewriting it until the moment. In fact, basically, the, the version that goes into the theaters is considered unfinished. I have read, and I don't know whether this is a post hoc defense, that the extremely long special effects sequences is because they were putting what's together a rough cut, and they want to show, here's all the special effects we made. You're obviously not going to use all of this, but you want to see it all to know how much of it you're going to choose, right, director? (laughs) And then they never got around to choosing it because they had to get the damn thing in theaters. Roddenberry and Wise were pushing to pull what they sent to theaters and in early December and like send a new one out in January, a la what they did to fix cats a few years ago. A hashtag release the butthole cut. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, mom, uh, apparently there is a cut of cats, the musical, the terrible musical movie where all the cats have anatomically correct buttholes. That is the only way I will ever watch that movie if they released it with cat buttholes in it. And just, I just also want to say, mom, it was this film was released in 1979. I guarantee you, at least some of these people were on Quaaludes. Oh, 100%. <laughs> uh, so to go along with what you said, Colin, William Shatner didn't see the completed film until the world premiere and was struck by the overall sluggishness of the film. <laughs> he was convinced that the Star Trek franchise died there and then. He reminisced, well, that's it. We gave it our best shot. Uh, it wasn't good, and it'll never happen again. <laughs> but having recalled his reaction 15 years later, when he was four or five Star Trek movies in at that point, uh, he just said, mm, shows you what I know. <laughs> the one and only time William Shatner was humble. <laughs> right. Do you think that there was such a, it made so much money? Because it was, it was, I mean, we all agree that it's a pretty bad movie, but it was because the public was so starved for Star Trek again. Yes, and yes. and they were starved for uh, a real sci-fi. You know, I will die in the hill that Star Wars is not sci-fi. 
Well, no. Star Wars is fantasy. Yeah, it's space fantasy. It's space fantasy. Yeah, no. I mean, it, what's the first line in, in Star Wars? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What's another way to say that? Once upon mm-hmm. a time. Yeah. But no. Some of the stuff that was in the original Trek stuff, they have today. The, sure. The, um, absolutely. The, the recorder. The tricorder. The tricorder, yeah, and the translator. Mm-hmm. Mom, the thing that you're using to talk to us right now was on Next Generation. It was a little thing called the PAD, Personal Access Data Device. And do you think it's an accident that Steve Jobs named the first tablet the iPad? No, absolutely not. There are copious, I mean, even even flip phones always felt like like an original series communicator, you know. Who didn't open their flip phone like, uh, like Jim Kirk? Yeah, but I think you're right, Mom. People really were hungry for it. I mean, this is it, it, there's a there's a bit in this movie where you see um, where they're pointing out all oh, these ships were named Enterprise, and the the mm-hmm. sh- the shuttle Enterprise is in there, which was only named Enterprise because of a fan campaign. Right. Okay, you just took one of my. Things okay, well you you just say it later. <laughs> I'll and we'll cut, cut out, out this. The, um, well, well, you know what? No, I, oh, there was one thing with the Enterprises back when they were going to release it, the special edition mm-hmm. on Blu-ray. Oh, no, it's not on Blu-ray. Excuse no. me. Uh, when they were going to do the special edition in 2000, I think, 17, maybe 16, when they were going to re-release it with as a box set, yeah. they were going to go in and put the NX-1, uh, the Enterprise from Enterprise, in there. Oh, okay. Which makes sense. It should be there. It is. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, you know, we can, we're okay. <laughs> oh, no love for Enterprise? All right. That's fair. Um, there's not a lot to talk about in terms of uh, almost casts here. Almost casts would have to go back to the, the series. Uh, the one thing that is interesting is, do you know Martin Landau turned down the role of Spock? No. Right, on the original series. Yeah. 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 Oh, I don't think he would have been good. And, you know, you know who agrees with you that he wouldn't have been good, Mom? Martin Landau. <laughs> He, no, 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 he did. He said, why would I take a role that was perfect for Lenny? Yeah, Leonard Nimoy is the perfect uh, Vulcan. So so there was a different Vulcan. Yeah, we meet him in the movie. So, well, no, not, not Sonak, who dies in the transporter. But um, on phase two, because Leonard Nimoy was not interested in coming back for television, mm-hmm. so they, that's why they created Decker, a new right. first officer, and <laughs> yeah. they created a new Vulcan science officer named Zahn. And that role was cast. Uh, There were publicity stills of the actor in full Vulcan makeup. And then they switched it to a movie and Nimoy came back and they settled some other things where he was not being paid properly for his likeness rights, et cetera, et cetera. And Uh he came back and so Zahn was out. And that actor actually appears in this movie. He plays uh, the Epsilon uh, 9 space station commander. Oh, that's right. That's what yeah. he plays. He's not the because I I was gonna make the joke of hey I know we fired you from being the new uh, si- Vulcan science officer, but good news you're gonna be in the movie, but not for very long. As long <laughs> as he gets paid, he doesn't care. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Well, well, that more or less uh, kind of wraps up you know the story of how it got made. Should we? Uh, Didn't you guys tell me that the the people they had like a uh, GoFundMe yeah, pe- thing, which before GoFundMe became. A thing? No, it, I, I looked into it. I, I had it a little wrong. The people, when Kirk is addressing the crew of the Enterprise, a lot of those people, and knowing this, you can kind of see it, helped 
with a letter writing campaign to get the third season of Star Trek. Oh. They didn't give any money. They they helped with the third season. Okay. But like if you go back and just watch that scene, you're like, well, you're very clearly <laughs> like there's one guy right dead center of all of those people in the establishing shot of them. I'm like, you are like the quintessential nerd. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to pull out an inhaler and do a puff. Casey, you said they did a letter writing campaign. They didn't give any money. What do you think? The stamp is free? Touche. <laughs> Touche. Touche, number one. <laughs> It looks like we have an incoming transmission. Let's uh, let's talk about this movie. So I think um, what, what we should do to make this easy is uh, I've got the synopsis off of Wikipedia. Don't want to, you know, full transparency here. I'm going to talk through it, and then whatever you guys want to throw anything in, just you know, let me know, and, and we can we can talk about you mean it. I can we can interrupt you and do it. Uh-huh. Okay. In the 23rd century, Starfleet monitoring station Epsilon Nine detects an alien entity hidden in a massive cloud of energy moving through space towards Earth. The cloud easily destroys three of the Klingon Empire's new Katinga-class warships. I'm going to stop right there. Colin, we kind of discussed this before. Those are just D7s with some extra pieces of modeling clay put on it, right? It's the same basic shape as the D7, which was the the main ship you would see on uh, for Klingons on Star Trek, the original series. It does look like they might have done a little bit of, uh, you know, sprucing up. Go ahead, Mom. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know a D7 from a D12. But your father, yeah. who's not a real big Star Trek fan, when he was watching it with me the first time, said, are those Klingons? I said, yep, those yeah. are Klingons. <laughs> so. Well, it's this, and this is also the, the time that you hear, we haven't talked at all about the music, which is, Arguably the greatest thing in this movie. Jerry Goldsmith, yes. Yeah, 100%. Jerry Goldsmith's music is fantastic. Um, you get what will be is known as uh, the Klingon uh, battle theme plays <laughs> over that, which will be reused for Klingons straight through these movies. It, it's, yep. it's, it's a total um, leitmotif that they just repeat over, you know, whenever Klingons are, are going. Yeah. The Klingon vessel tries to fire on the energy cloud. It is disintegrated. And so is Epsilon 9 when it tries to investigate. That moves us to Earth. And so the beginning of this movie has... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Go Go on, Mom. Oh, go ahead. I don't know if it's the correct place to put this, but... Sure. Could those ships that the Klingons were doing, could they cloak? Very good question. And if they could cloak, why didn't they cloak and get the heck out of there? Why didn't they run? Why well, they... Klingons don't Klingons don't run from battle. Today is a good day to die. So three things we got to talk about. Three things about those Klingons, though, because this was huge, right? The fact that this is the first time that Klingons aren't just in brownface. Yeah, they aren't just sort of like pseudo Mongolian brownface. Ooh, so awkward. So the bumpy-headed Klingons. Mm-hmm. This is their first appearance. The, mm-hmm. uh, for years and years, nobody ever explains it. They eventually came around to doing <laughs> a joke about it on Deep Space Nine. Those Klingons. Mr. War? They are Klingons. And it is a long story. What happened? Some kind of genetic engineering? A viral mutation? We do not discuss it with outsiders. And then explaining it on Enterprise. But until then, the official explanation was, they always look like that. We just finally got money. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Now, it is also the first appearance of the Klingon language. Really? Uh, does anyone know who wrote the Klingon language? Yes, I do. Scotty. Who? 
He helped. Yes. Very good. Well, actually, everything you hear in this movie is what it was James doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Later, the Klingon language will be um, uh, built out by a, a linguist named Mark Grant, who they hired. Mm-hmm. But everything here was was mm-hmm. James yeah. doing. Yeah. yeah. For both the Klingons and for the Vulcans. He, he did that, too. Yeah. Who um, knew James Doohan was a linguist? <laughs> Obviously, and, James Doohan. Yeah. And... And the other thing we need to discuss is, do you know who plays that Klingon captain? I sure do. I don't. It's Mark Leonard. It's Mark Leonard. Really? Ma- Mark Leonard. Yeah. Isn't he the, the, the Sarek? Yes. He is Sarek. Okay. Very he good. Is Sarek. And he's also the original Romulan uh, yes. Yes. in Balance of Terror. Oh, yeah. And back to James Doon. He was not just a linguist. He was outstanding at dialects. He was yeah, his very, Scottish accent is is yeah, and pretty that's, solid. That's, that, I thought for the longest time I thought he was Scottish, and he's not. He's, <laughs> First time I heard him with an American accent, I was like, "What's happening? What uh, happened here?" Pardon me, Canadian accent. Yeah. Oh, Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. He is a, a, he is Canuck. A. Yes. So yeah, Mark Leonard getting you know doing doing the joining the the trifecta club of having played at least three different aliens, and you know, it's him, Jeffrey Coombs, David Warner. Uh, Does Jeffrey Coombs hold the record? For yeah, Jeffrey the most Coombs aliens? has probably played the most. But the, Star Trek does like to reuse their their better guest stars, and if you put the different forehead on them, we're off and running. <laughs> yeah, if they're heavy, <laughs> if they're heavy makeup, they can play more than one. Casey, we're you you, you got us to Earth. Yes, and and so the movie starts with the Star Trek theme, which would then be reused for Next Generation. Uh, Great theme. I don't need to hear it again five minutes into the film. (laughs) I was like, guys, it's a great theme and everything, but let's calm down. So we're on Earth. We get some establishing shots of San Francisco, uh, where Starfleet headquarters is, and the the academy itself. We have Admiral Kirk at this point. He works in the San Francisco as the chief of Starfleet operations. I don't think that's ever actually said in the movie, but that makes sense. Yes, it is. Oh, does, does the does the uh, Vulcan say it to him? Uh, no, it he. I think he and and Scotty mention it in the pod the the pod ride over before everything gets quiet and Kirk just starts you know staring at the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> but with lust, <laughs> with lust. Well, you know, I was gonna I was gonna use a different phrase, but you did ask us not to curse. <laughs> oh, he definitely wants to. Touch those in the cells, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm on my way to a meeting with Admiral Nagura, which will not last more than three minutes. I want to mention something. When when they have the big scene where you've got all these people from all these people from the Federation, yeah. okay, and they're, uh-huh. they're he's coming up the escalator, then he meets up with the. Can, doesn't the Federation have a uniform? I mean, they had people in short Let's, skirts. They had people in. I mean, okay, come on. This is the only time we will see these quote-unquote uniforms. In fact, uh, we will, because of how stupid and ridiculous these uniforms were, we will get, in my opinion, the second best uniform Starfleet has ever offered, the red tunics in the next movie. Literally, the cast said, we'll come back for a sequel, but we're not wearing those uniforms. Who doesn't like beige footy but pajamas? But I'm not talking about their <laughs> uniforms per se, but the, the background people. Some of them had on white tunics. I know the scene you're talking about when when he and Sonak, oh, yeah. the yeah. other Vulcan, they talk. I think that that is intended to be like entering into Starfleet 
headquarters? No, it's it's entering into Epcot. That's the monorail. Rail. <laughs> it's the monorail from Epcot. <laughs> well, if, as long as we're... Oh, rest in peace, Epcot monorail. So, Mom, I think some of those are supposed to be civilians. Uh, so yeah. you're supposed to be getting a little flavor okay. of 23rd that, that century well, um, civilian my, gear. My, my only comment... I called them the costumes, not the uniforms. I said <laughs> costumes. How dare you? Gag. Haven't they heard of oh, jock yeah. straps? I mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it it is. They, that's they also bad. had to um, they had to work around the fact that uh, Mr. Shatner was full on wearing a girdle by this point. You can see it in a couple scenes. I kept looking for it. I didn't spot it. Oh, I think that's why they added the uh, the battery pack to the front to try and hide it a little more. (laughs) Well, the V necking too. It's just. I mean, McCoy is full on going to a disco through like uh, seventy percent of this movie. Shave his shave his chest either. He's got some serious Hell, hair going no. on there. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get DeForest Kelly to shave anything. <laughs> it's, it's definitely. I think, feel like the, the look of this film, and particularly the costumes, is the most of the time it was filmed. Hundred percent. You can. I mean, look. If you know, you can tell the later movies are made in the '80s or '90s. You can tell the original series is made in the '60s because of the go-go shirts and the minis, the go-go boots and the miniskirts. But Jesus, those necklines on the men are so '70s. It's just all so '70s. There is a part where one of the costumes that Kirk is wearing, I'm like, is he going to the beach after he oh, does this? You, you mean the short sleeve? Oh, it looks like, oh, a, it looks like a dentist uh, thing. Looks like he's. Getting- <laughs> it does. He looks like a dental. It's so bad. But and yet he has I, I noticed this at one point. Like huh? he has an opportunity to change outfits like in the middle of the film. That if there's anything that belies the pace of this film or any sense of urgency, it's the number of costume changes they manage to do in what is supposed to be like twelve hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this movie moves. It, this movie apparently moves in real time, also, because this movie feels like it's twelve hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, this, you were talking about how Kirk was looking lustily at the at, at the Enterprise. Oh yeah, that scene oh. was about five minutes too long. Well, it's four minutes and forty four seconds long. Anyway, the scene where but he goes the thing over. is, is when they go <laughs> past it, and then they're going to do the flip to come in. It, it's yeah. not the scale. It looks like it looks no. like the the ship that the pod that they're on is the same size as the three stories. <laughs> it was like Star Trek has always had a problem with scaling. Yeah. I mean, I, I still don't know what the scale difference between uh, the Enterprise D and a Romulan Warbird is. Is it much bigger? Is it the same size? It just we never got that on screen, and I think part of that is four three ratio of a television. They couldn't show us the scope. Yeah, and it's actually why. They had to give us a new Enterprise for uh, the last three Next Generation movies. Enterprise D was shaped for 4.3. It was very oval. On 16 by 9, it just looked stretched Mm -hmm. out and weird. I mean, okay, so I think I may be probably the person who will defend this movie the most. I will say say that... I get what they're going for in that long thing. Obviously, they're going for the idea of Kirk's one true love is the Enterprise, right? You know, yep. um, and also, but and it's also a, a thing they go for in some of these other extremely long shots. Is sort of a a sense of pure cinema, you know, mm-hmm. of, of of just real true visual storytelling. They're trying to do what what Kubrick does in two thousand one. Um, it just is not really the right venue for it, and they. 
it's so rushed that there isn't a, a story that works around it. Uh, the, yeah. you know, the production is so rushed, not the not the four minute and forty four second shots. <laughs> they're, they're definitely they're, and they're and they're trying to show where all the money went, which is which is these effect shots and modeling, which I have to say, still looks great. That model yeah, still the enterprise, looks the enterprise just refit looks great. Fan, the, I mean, the, the design is great, but all the model work in it is really Except great. Except for the little I mean, man floating around randomly. Oh, it, the, listen, the, for seventy nine, oh, it's yeah. great. The EVA, the EVAs look good. Oh, I like I the guy that does the flip and waves at the end when they're going out. Yeah, <laughs> it's adorable. Now, I do want to say, Casey, you mentioned that, that for two and a half years, Kirk has been the chief of Starfleet operations. Uh-huh. And then the next thing we learn is that the Enterprise is literally the only ship available to defend Earth, where Starfleet headquarters is. It feels like Jim Kirk wasn't a very good head of Starfleet <laughs> operations. Or was he the best because he only wanted that ship? Was this his <laughs> roundabout way of getting control back of the uh, <laughs> Enterprise? <laughs> it's the long con, baby. He's just One working day, the long there will be, a nap, there will be an two and a half years. <laughs> well, no, but it wasn't that because it was heading toward Earth, and yeah. they, yep. were the, they were the close because all the others were out exploring. But the but theoretically, there should be at least a couple other starships near Earth if Earth is where the headquarters of the Federation is. You know, there's never only one fighter jet available to defend Washington, D.C. the Enterprise you know is what I mean? the best, so there you go. Yeah, well, that's It's the it. flagship of the Federation, yeah. I had actually forgotten that the we're the only ones available in the sector thing that they use again in the next movie was in this movie. Uh, they use it a lot in Star Trek. It happens all the time. It's a very big universe. <laughs> I do want to spend a minute on the, on the refit of the Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, specifically the deflector dish. Did anyone notice one thing? With it, it's not a big red dish anymore. It's not a big copper dish anymore, but it is copper colored when the Enterprise is going in anything under warp. Oh. When it's just going at impulse, when it goes to warp, it becomes the blue that we all know for the Enterprise refit. That was going to be a, a theme. It was going to be bronze when it was just kind of orbiting a planet or just hanging out and going at impulse. When it went to warp, it turned blue to signify, hey, the deflector dish is doing a little more work now. It's abandoned by the next movie. <laughs> they, don't do it, they don't do it. In, yeah. <laughs> no problem. Con, it's blue the whole time. And, never, and, you know, whoever came up with that idea must have just been like, okay, cool. Just don't take my idea. You know, well, I made logic. We'll, we'll talk about, when we discuss the next film, just <sighs> how much less money was put into that film. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's. It, half the budget, um, so that it, it could have just been a budgetary. But it's the thing. best one. Most people say what? it's the best. Save one. it for the next year. Save it for the next I one. The Enterprise transporters operating, Mister Scott. Are we problems? Are just temporary. Kirk is going up to the Enterprise to intercept the cloud uh, entity, as it is the only ship in the in range, as you said. Kirk, uh, Kirk's not very good at talking to Deckard. But wait, we, I don't want to skip over the scene with Scotty in the, the pod just because I actually think it's it's well played between the two of them. It it's, is. It's a, it, it sure is. It feels like a real conversation, and it's the beginning of... So in the original series, these were all people who worked together, and Kirk and Spock and McCoy were very, very close, and then everybody sure. else was... Part of the loyal crew, but this is the beginning of the thing that's going to become the theme through all these other original series cast movies of this is the family. Right. And he and Scotty are, you know, the family is back together now. And the, the and he and Duan play that pretty nicely, I they think. They gave her back to me, Scotty. Gave her back, sir? 
I doubt it was that easy with Nagura. You're right. <laughs> Any man who could manage such a feat, I would not dare disappoint. She'll launch on time, sir. And she'll be ready. We should talk about this, Casey. You, you were about to talk about Decker. Uh, well, we should it, tell you who Decker is. Should we? Do we have no, to No, not the actor. Not the actor. Oh, we don't okay. want to talk about him. Um, no, he no, can but go. We should say who the characters. Iowa, now, married to a German girl. He's a big fan of his. He's not in jail. He never. He never went to jail. Well, Ooh. he should. That well. Okay, you told us not to swear, so we'll just move on from that. Well, <laughs> but to stick with Will Decker. You mean Will Riker? Riker Decker. Decker 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 Riker. The same character. It's the same character and the same back, the same background. So you recognize, Mom, that Decker and Ilya. Oh, that Will Riker and Troy. Oh, it's okay. like the same no, I exact. I didn't put that together, but they just lift, I have they just lifted it and stole that. it. But <laughs> so Will Decker, the Will Decker, who it's never mentioned in the film, but both the novelization and many other um, like extra canonical books and things say that he is the son of Commodore Matt Decker, yep. who is a guest star who dies in the classic series episode, uh, The Doomsday Machine. So he's he's a legacy. Mm-hmm. The Kirk knew his dad. Uh, his dad was a mentor figure to Kirk, so Kirk is a mentor figure to him. Is uh, he though? <laughs> well, he's kind and of then, just an asshole to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean that—that that is one of the things that really doesn't work about this movie. Is Kirk is such a jerk to him? Like, not even a jerk. Like, he just walks up. He's like, "Hey, you've been demoted. I'm now captain. Peace out. Go and, to the bridge." <laughs> and of course, he doesn't have to take. He doesn't have to take that kind of command. If he's on, he's a flag officer. He can be in command of the mission, and, and yeah, Decker can be in command of the vessel, which would make more sense. But that sense. wouldn't create the tension. It, it would create still create. It, it still kind of would because Kirk's in charge. He's taking over his ship. I think, and it just doesn't make sense because a lot of the. Um, the ranking in Starfleet is naval. And, and just like you said, if an admiral comes on, on board, they have the right to say, I'm now in command of the ship, or just hang in the well, background, let the captain do their thing. Well, no, but that's what that's what Kirk does, is he does put himself in command of the ship. What a flag officer could do is be in command of the mission while the captain commands the ship. But Kirk gotcha, doesn't gotcha. Kirk doesn't care about the mission. He cares about the ship. He and wants it, his baby back. It's a subtle detail that actually might have been better brought out in like dialogue that would explain that like this is so much about the ship. But like everything Decker says to him. I remember when you recommended me for this command. You told me how envious you were and how much you hoped you'd find a way to get a starship command again. Well, sir, it looks like you found a way. He's totally right. But but doesn't address that after Kirk yeah. pulls the three of them, and then he dimis- dismisses him and doesn't Bones yeah. basically say... You ram getting this command on Starfleet's throat. You've used this emergency to get the Enterprise back. And everything Bones says to him is right. Where I think the film falls down is that there's never a payoff of Kirk realizing it. So Kirk slightly. doesn't... Very slightly. I mean, well, first of all, when he, there's a scene later on... Mr. Decker, I will not provoke an attack. If that order isn't clear enough for you... Captain I'll... is your exec. It's my duty point out alternatives. Does his little little thing with the hand? Yes, it is. He accepts that he But that's after he, he almost blows up the ship. At that point, he knows more yeah. about the ship. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He does. About the yeah. ship, yeah. But I, I guess what it is, is that there's never a... Hmm, the, the, there's no... Kirk doesn't... How is Kirk different at the end of this movie than he is at the beginning? How is Kirk different at the beginning of this movie and in the movie that he's, he dies he's, in? Kirk is Kirk. He's never... Oh, gonna, that's not true. Well, first of all, spoilers. Oh, yeah. Second like, of people all... People that are going to listen to this haven't already seen them. 
Mm-hmm. Second of all, the, Kirk Kirk has growth throughout the rest of these the, movies. The, the entire point of the next movie is about a, is about a character arc for for yeah, Kirk. But, yeah, this movie is that, a character arc for one character and one character only. V'ger. Um, <laughs> actually, no. I mean, V'ger do, does actually also have a little bit of one, but it's Spock. Yeah, Spock Spock's is the, the only, only person who changes, which is why Nimoy is kind of the best thing in the movie because yeah, 100%. Because he's the only one who's been written anything to do other than stare at screens and advance the plot, you know, such as it is. When they um, leave and they get up to the, or am I going too far in advance now? No, nah, we're, skip, well, we're skipping around. Well, let's let's not skip there because we should introduce the most interesting character in the movie, and that is Commander Spock, who is living on oh, Vulcan, yes. and his uh, is doing the Colinar. And I, I want to talk about this here because also a lot of other actors play Vulcans as devoid of emotion. Vulcans all have emotion; they just suppress them. And I don't think I don't think anyone does it as good as Nemo. Well, of course, Nemo is supposed to have a human half. You know, Spock has a human half, so that's part of but it. Even but even with that, like even when he is doing the colonar, and he's very much in that space of in this movie, I'm letting all my emotion go. You still see it, like it's still there. But there are certain actors, and I'm not going to name because I'm not here to crap on anyone's performance. In something we're not actually reviewing, their Vulcan way is to just be like, I'm going to say every line like this, and this is how I'm going to show you I have no emotion. But Vulcans have emotion. They just suppress them. I mean, look, Nimoy's always good. You don't sure. you don't get bad performance out of Leonard Nimoy. He, you know, um, but he does. There, this one of the things that makes Spock tough in this movie is that everybody else is pretty subdued, and you know. They're, they're, they're right. Wooden, right. <laughs> it's you know, but one the interesting thing about the the culinar and the and the purging emotion is you know there is a bit of character development as much as you could have on a, a series in the '60s that didn't have that kind of ongoing storyline serialization. But mm-hmm. but Spock grows into having a little more acceptance of his dual heritage of of the relationship between logic and emotion for him, and that all kind of is getting rebooted here. Um, yeah. and, and that's not uncommon, I think, in franchises where you have to, um, when you take it from a, a TV to a, a, a movie or something, where they kind of try to reboot in a way that 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 distills the character down to its most identifiable essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then, but I do think that that's the one that's the one character arc in this film that works is that you get that, you know, when Spock comes back out later from that. We're, we're in, it's a wonderful bit of acting on on Nimoy's part where he, you sense that there's this an enormous release of tension in him. Which scene are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Well, when he wakes up in sick bay after yeah, having gone and, and mind melded with yeah, V'ger, yeah. right? It's the first time he calls him Jim. It is. That's far in our future, yeah. but. Transporter, do not engage. There's a transporter malfunction. Uh, uh, rest in peace, Sonak. And, and Rand just <laughs> He's, was so. Oh. Yeoman Rand? That's Transporter Chief Rand. Oh, is she? Yeah. Oh, she's Transporter Chief. Oh, she's the Transporter Chief. She's the Transporter Chief now, and former nurse Christine Chapel is now an MD. So they, there was a bit of a bump up in role for the two women who were not Uhura. <laughs> 
Yeah, Uhura's still a lieutenant. Uh, or no, she's a lieutenant commander now, Every, isn't she? Everybody gets a bump in rank. So Scotty goes from lieutenant commander to commander. Chekhov goes from ensign to lieutenant. Lieutenant commander, Sulu, lieutenant commander, Uhura. They get bumped up from lieutenant. So everybody goes up in rank, basically, except for... Uh, Spock, who and McCoy Spock is still a commander. Who left? Who well, Spock and McCoy left Starfleet. Everybody who stays in Starfleet gets a bump, right? Because Bones is a commander too, right? He would he would have been a commander, yeah, because he's the chief medical. Yeah, CM, the CMO he, he would, would hold the rank of 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 commander, but but he mm-hmm. he left Starfleet to go to Studio Fifty Four. Apparently, <laughs> that beard. Yeah, I <laughs> I was like, can he keep that beard for the whole movie? It's, it's not, amazing. It's not so much the beard. It's it's the gold chains. It's really the yeah. gold chains that he make me. lose the gold chain. I don't know. They don't specify where he went, but there was definitely cocaine there. But oh yes, I want to know why Bones keeps just. They're on the bridge, and Bird Bones comes on, and he just stands there and looks around. And I have, he he, and I then have, he comes back. I have my notes. No. I have my notes about it. Just, it's, it's the it's, same thing. He just wanders on, right. looks, does nothing. It's so weird. I feel like it was like Bones is like. Riding the turbo lift, and the doors open. He walks in, and goes, "Oh shit, this isn't sick bay." <laughs> Gets back on, or, or it almost feels like DeForest Kelly taking the piss out of the movie. Is like, all we're gonna do is stand around and look at screens. I'm gonna come out here. I'm gonna look at a screen for 15 seconds. And I'm gonna leave. You know, that brings me Maybe to a thing that into like, his contract. See, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know the thing they talk about, like what, um, why Harrison Ford is so great in Star Wars is because you need somebody amidst all that who's just kind of constantly projecting a sense of. <laughs> Can you believe this bullshit? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I think in this movie, the actor playing Decker is really trying to be that guy sometimes. He's trying to, like, kind of be above it. And I have read that the actor was not a fan of Star Trek and kind of he he's, was a little condescending toward it. Um, the problem is, is that this cast already has a guy whose job it is to stand around going, can you believe this bullshit? And that man is DeForest Kelly. <laughs> he, he didn't want to take the original series. He didn't. Oh, no, he didn't. He wasn't in the original pilot, Dr. Boyce. There was a different doctor. Right. He didn't want to do it because he was a Western guy, and he did, he thought science fiction was stupid. He mostly played heavies in Westerns, yeah. That was his, that was, he's a terrific actor. He, he's he, fantastic, he, yeah. He, you know the the human groundingness. I mean, I, I jokingly say, stand around saying, "Can you believe this bullshit?" But you know, he really does sort of bring things down to its it, its most essential level um, in an important way. You know, remind us of of consequences, costs. Um, I, I love that he has this great great line in, in that first transporter. Bones is a thing out there. Why is any object we don't understand always called a thing? Well, he he comes in in the one scene and bends over Kirk, and he has the, the wit scared out of him. So he's talking to Kirk to, to to you know bring Kirk down. But there's the one scene where he comes on, looks around. I think it's when he came in with Sulu after Sulu had his hand fixed. Oh, uh, and why did check he have off, to yeah. escort? Check, oh, off, check yeah. off, rather. No, yeah. Why did he have to escort him up there? Is it like that you have to leave a, a, a hospital now in a wheelchair if you leave the sick bay? take you up to to the thing and then he just stands there and just like okay i'm done bye (laughs) i think my head cannon was uh, to make sure that uh kirk wasn't back on his bullshit (laughs) that's probably true like you're still staying humble right you know uh what what also happens here with the uh with uh, the science officer sonak being killed 
is then they go to warp, which is apparently run by a joystick. Uh, one of my comments. Oh, yeah. One of my comments. Why does he have a joystick? That is so it's weird. so weird. I mean, it was, it was 79. It was like the height of Pong. They uh-huh. thought, the kids love Pong. Let's have a joystick. And they go to warp one and enter not a wormhole. That's not how wormholes work. That's not how wormholes. In fact, um, one of the consultants on the film was uh, Isaac Asimov. Yes. And he was like, that's not a wormhole. Call it something else. And they're like, oh, that's nice. We're still going to call it a wormhole. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that. Every science nerd sense has gone, that's not a wormhole. You, do you remember what I said earlier about how the, all the model work really holds up? The, the same is not in any way go for the effect that they do for the wormhole. That it just it, And it, that sequence goes on so long, it's hard to tell what's going on or why it's happening. Uh-huh. It's just a mess. The effect of the wormhole, though, felt very proto Deep Space Nine wormhole. Like uh-huh. it's the it's that same rough like um like almost a rough terrain grid circle around what you're going through. Right. That, that, I, I looked at that and I'm like, oh, they just turned it blue, filled on all the circles and added a couple of little lightning effects and ta-da, we've got the wormhole. I'm talking about oh, on Deep Space Nine. It's oh, yeah. I mean the effect of the sort of oh, draggy, oh, slow mo oh, <laughs> And the it's bouncing. Just, I loved it. And the no. the bald headed one, I can't think of her name. They they've they've all quit bouncing and she's still bouncing. <laughs> So it wasn't the set that was bouncing. It was the actors it looked like. Oh, yeah. It's oh, always it, the actors But she's bouncing. still going. It's like, uh, what's wrong here? It just, all that sequence feels like is, I don't know. It's just, it's a very, it just feels like we're delaying getting to V'ger. We're delaying getting to V'ger. Well, endless. We don't even know it's called V'ger yet. It's just the, the entity, the cloud, you know. The thing. Well, yeah, right. The, the thing. thing. Can I go back to the beginning? We talk about long things. You sure. Pointed, you pointed out <laughs> that the beginning with the director's cut, which is what I watched last night. Oh, yeah. We all watched that. Yeah. All the stars and all the stars. The, the overture. And all the stars. And, and all, all the, the stars. stars. I fast forwarded because I thought there was something wrong with my TV. <laughs> yeah, you, you fast forwarded until the mountain came up. The and overture, then I, and then I went back, but it was right. The Paramount logo. What it is is an overture. This is what I was getting at before with like where this falls in the history of filmmaking. You know, it's a, it's what they used to call a roadshow picture, uh-huh. right? It's going to play the big screens. It's going to do. It's going to have an overture. It's going to have an intermission. It's going to be. You know, it's Ben Hur. It's it's a it's a big. It's not a it's not a little. You know, pushed a. Uh, picture it's a big um that's that's i mean even the title the motion picture (laughs) it's it's so it's so of that it's like so the last gasp of that that studio era of like we're gonna have an overture though i don't think the overture existed in the no it's only in the director's cup it was obviously wisest i mean you know I, I, I've forgotten about it, and it started... I did the same thing, Mom. I'm like, oh, this is the DVD menu. Oh, this is not... Okay, it's the overture. So I started it over, and then I just sort of let it play while I, I got a beer. <laughs> if they like, had bigger stars, you would have known what it was, but there were points that all I could see was, like, stars maybe uh, in three quarters, and it, it wasn't Yeah, full. it's a very... It was weird. Well, and to your point, the, the Starfield effect at one point starts over. <laughs> That's how long that sequence is. It just kind of melds into it, starting over. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, maybe if I had been watching it on 4K TV, I would have gotten it. But I wasn't. I was watching it on the other one. Um, Oh, yeah. We Um, should probably point out, um, if anyone wants to watch this, the the three people that are listening right now, um, (laughs) you 
cannot get this streaming. If you go to Amazon Prime, if you probably Paramount Plus, if you go to any of those streaming sites, it's going to be the theatrical. You have to pay to be able to watch this or like the nerd like me, own it on DVD. I got it out of the library. A lot of libraries. Oh, yes, yes. It, it's much different. There's so much more in it that it, it is. It, 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 it is makes, very there's, different. There's a lot of restored effects. Yeah. The effects. The, some of the restored effects really stand out as being. There's there's things in there that make the whole movie make more sense to me. A hundred percent. Spock does not pass Colin R. Let's. <laughs> Let's talk about, for a race that, is, that supposedly does not have emotion, that uh, Vulcan High Priestess is super dramatic with the dropping of the beads or whatever. She's like, oh, you didn't pass. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but don't they normally, when they leave, give the sign and say live long and prosper instead of at the beginning of the scene? It can be used as an opening oh, okay. salute, too. It's like Aloha. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't, they just turned their back on him and walked away. They didn't say, you know, yeah, good wow. luck. Or anything. They were just like, we're done with you. Bye. Bye. Being Vulcan means never having to say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to say, uh, you know, that transporter accident that kills the two people. McCoy's long-running uh, distrust of the transporter doesn't seem quite so crazy, does <laughs> sure. it? Sure. Right after that. Like, they played for laughs of, like, he won't get in the transporter. And it's like, yeah, because the last time we saw that, it turned two people into something that they were like, it was good when it died. Yeah, but don't you remember at the beginning, well, he goes, why aren't the why aren't the transporters on the Enterprise working? And that's why he yeah. took the shuttle over. And then they reported, before McCoy decided he wasn't going to come over, that the transporters were fixed. And he still wouldn't come over. Right. Mom, that's something in the yeah, but, movie business that's called but, but, foreshadowing. But, you know, if you, if the transporter are just off two people, do you want to be in the one? Don't worry. The last time it killed two people, but now they're totally fixed. Hop in. But the animal is inside out. I heard that. It turned inside out? And it exploded. This is the first of many times I wrote in my notes. Decker is totally right. Yeah, Decker's right all the time. Now, again, uh, Stephen Collins is a ginormous piece of crap, but uh, Willard Decker is 100% right 99% of the time in this movie. But also totally just a bland, uninteresting character because of it. He's, he's bland. Uh, he's bland Riker. Like, except, yep, when he lo- glances lovingly at Aaliyah, and then he's just bleh. So did Frakes with Riker and Troy, but you actually believed when, like, you believe uh, Jonathan Frakes when he looks at Deanna Troy lovingly. You're like, oh, that man loves that woman. This is that man is here for the paycheck and nothing else. When they ask her, my oath of celibacy is on record, Captain. May I assume my duties? Some celibacy have to do with her abilities. <laughs> so, so actually, you you might be able to know more about this, Mom, since you did watch the theatrical cut a couple times. Um, if I remember, the theatrical cut has more about the whole Delton celibacy thing. Apparently, the whole deal is this: her race of of aliens, the Deltons, are just like pheromone emitters or something. They're just incredibly attractive to people. And so they're only allowed to serve in Starfleet if they take a, a vow of celibacy. This all smacks of like super weird, horny 70s 
dudes writing science fiction. This like, is all gross. It's really not not an, not an avenue that I'm glad that they did not go down. But I gather that there's more of it in the in the theatrical. You don't remember that? I don't. I haven't seen the theatrical I, I, version. I, I remember in him years. asking her, but I don't remember them. This was the one I watched last night. Was at uh, thirty two point twenty four. She does say she it, says in, it in both of them, here, yeah. So, and I'm going, well, but then nothing more is no. really made of it, which is probably for the best. But but the the canonical thing is supposed to be that like Deltons are you know people are kind of like don't even trust them. It's because they're so that's like people always want to sleep with them. I guess there's just a lot of stuff where the where but, the men kind of ogle her in the. Well, yeah, when she first came, yeah, in. and and Kurt yeah. uh, Kirk plays the savior there. He because she says the thing about celibacy, and he makes him off comment about like, okay, great, go perform your duties, and with you know, pretty <laughs> but, much like I'll keep Decker yeah. over here, <laughs> and you go over there. When she first came on, they showed close ups of Sulu and of Chekhov, and hmm. they both looked like they had their tongues hanging out. Oh, there and you go. He, yeah. yeah, and so that's that. Uh, now hmm. it makes sense if that's yeah. what yeah. they're supposed to be. There's a lot of. Male gaze on the part of the camera. You oh, G A Z E. Okay. Yeah, G A Z. So, male gaze is a is a is a film term for basically when the camera acts as a heterosexual male's eyes when it films a woman and and like views them sexually. Um, and it's it, it's and so there's a fair amount of that in there. But, but I think the thing that doesn't work about Will and Deck, uh, uh, Decker and and Ilea, that they they kind of wisely jettison is like, so you you did they have no time to you know you were talking about how Riker and Troy work better because they had time to build it out over a whole season and then six more. Uh, I, I, there's no time. Right. I mean, there could be time. You could cut a lot of this movie and add more time for them. But like. They, they think this is the last time they really tried to make us care a great deal about people who weren't the main characters and weren't relating directly to the main characters, mm-hmm. you know, right. where, where it's like yep. we have the side plot of these two people who, you know, maybe you're going to get back together. And it's like, mm, this is not what I came here for. But I, I want to see I want to see Scotty. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> and his glorious mustache. I offer my services as science officer. If our exec has no objections, of course not. Mr. Spock, welcome aboard. Spock joins the ship, and I just love how it's like, hey, I'm here to replace your science officer who was brutally murdered in a transporter accident. <laughs> yeah. There's no comment on it. There's just like, oh, oh yeah, he's Fun dead. fact okay. that I learned is that the other person killed in the transporter accident is just some random lieutenant or ensign in this. But in the novelization, it's like uh-huh. Kirk's fiance. And then, no, and then he just goes, what? That doesn't make any difference. I'm not my first love anyway. That's it. That's it. You know, right. Yeah. I'm, it's all right. I got the ship back. Oh We're all my this was, what, was this in one of the books that uh, What's-His-Face wrote? No, this is the, the official novelization of this by Gene Roddenberry oh, Gene or some, some, of, some, some ghost writer, probably. Of, I can't remember. William Shatner wrote some books on him, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Shatner wrote all his weird books. Yeah, though, it's not even that okay. stuff. Um, but you know, um, I think that first Spock scene on the bridge, the first time Spock goes on the bridge, I actually think that scene is great. It tells you everything you want to know about where Spock is. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's well played. But for the fact that the science officer Sonak is never mentioned during that scene, it's a great scene. I just wish someone had been like, when he comes off, when, when Chekhov goes to greet him. Permission to come aboard, sir. 
Granted, sir. Granted. Because he just walked away from me. He didn't even acknowledge <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was there. It was like. He just completely hello. walked by him. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it, it's the thing that this movie doesn't do nearly enough of is showing us what the characters are thinking and feeling by their behavior and characterization rather than them saying, I am thinking and feeling this and I will now tell you about it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know, Spock never says, I am not happy to see you. Uh, I wish I wasn't here. I would rather be someplace else. And nobody ever says, mm-hmm. wow, we kind of feel like you are not particularly glad to be back, Spock. We, we missed you. But it's all said with action and acting, and that's really how you're supposed to do he it. He couldn't say sure. anything like that because that would be showing feelings, and he doesn't want to show feelings. He doesn't want to show emotion. Yeah, yeah, no, of course. But, I mean, there's also the entire possibility that all, the I wish I was somewhere else doing something else is all actually Leonard Nimoy at this point. But, well, <laughs> yes, but that you, you really get into it when he comes back from going inside the thing. Totally. Is it time for the for the, the Enterprise to go into the cloud? Yeah, let's get to the because cloud. Because I don't yeah. know that much else oh, happens before, before that. Before we go into it, when oh. the two people died in the in the transporter, he says to yeah. Yeoman Rand. There was nothing you could have done, Rand. It wasn't your fault. She didn't she never <laughs> said it was my fault. It was <laughs> my fault. Why did he why does he think she thinks it's her yeah. fault? And also Kirk had taken over the controls of the transporter. Yeah. <laughs> if it's anybody's fault, it's James T. Kirk. There you go. It wasn't your fault. There was nothing. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I kind of wish Yeoman ran and be like, oh, yeah, I totally know it's not my fault. <laughs> Glad to see you're still a space jerk. Okay, so, so, so the Enterprise intercepts the energy cloud um, and is attacked by an alien vessel within. The probe appears on the bridge and attacks Spock and abducts the navigator, Aaliyah. Did anyone see the note that the actor, I'm not even going to attempt to pr- pronounce her name, Persis Kambata, was partially blinded during during this scene? Oof. Oh, because of the right light. She was blinded for a couple minutes doing this because uh. of how bright the light was. And and, and Robert yeah. Wise, like, keep your eyes open. Yeah. Don't close them while everyone else is, you know, obstructing their view with their hand. And they called cut. And she's like, I can't see anything. Wow. It's terrifying. It, that should never happen on film production, but it should also never happen for a scene that is as unfortunate and as this one. It really, the probe scene is so rough. It's it's rough, and I mean, uh, the, the character, the actor who plays Aaliyah, had a lot of terrible things happen to her. She was terrified to shave her head, and she asked uh, Robert Wise to hold on to the hair, and they took an insurance policy out in case her hair did not grow back. Like mm. she. It feels like they should have just put her in a bald cap or, oh, hey, I don't know. Let her have hair. Oh, the having a beautiful bald woman was like a gene thing that he had to have. Yeah. They, that, that's all the way. There's screen tests of her in original series uniform with a right. with a soaped head and instead of a shaved, you know, um, a bald cap and soaping, which is the makeup, uh-huh. what they call the makeup effect when you do that. Um you can see those screen tests. They're they're out there. She was supposed to be on the series too. But this right. something about that. I mean, the effect doesn't particularly hold up well. But just react acting with that light effect of the probe just brings out the worst in everybody's acting. I agree. It's I really agree. bad. <laughs> yes, I do. Especially it's the probe's Stevens. fault. Oh, well, I, but Spock nah. just just puts his hand up. Everybody else is grimacing like they're in pain, and they have their hands over their ears, and it's like that's so much overacting. Yeah. Yep. It is overacting, but there's so much underacting in the rest of the film. There's like, so much no acting. 
can we just find the middle ground and call it acting? Like there's just yes, there's, it's called Wrath of Khan. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it gets <laughs> right. it, it gets better from here on out. Um, uh-huh. Well, uh, it gets better, then gets worse, then gets better. We'll be there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that probe scene is does not bring out the best of anybody. This is how I define unwarranted. So it abducts her, and then uh, now in the Wikipedia, it says it's a robot replica. I didn't get that it was a robot. It's a mechanical being. They it's say a that. Mechanical, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bones describes like a little um, microbe-sized. Like, basically, if they had had the word nanites, they would have used it. They were talking about right. So Aaliyah is in in essence killed at this moment. She is. She's, right? she's killed. Yeah. yeah that's she's it. Dead. So what Kirk says at the end is bullcrap. Why? What did he say? Oh, missing. He's, yeah. They're missing. I'm like, no, she's dead. Well, I, th- I think the point is that part her brain scans are in there. You but know? she's not really because she, the two of them formed another being. They had a, yeah, you know, so they're they're not dead. They're just a different being. Those people are yeah. missing, but there's a new one. Did anybody notice at 3751? Somebody walks past and these doors are closing, and this guy jumps through them, and they don't flash <laughs> open again. Oh, no. Yes, I did. And I think that was like some sort of Gene Roddenberry. They've got to close these doors to run the yeah. the new warp yeah. core. I felt like a like a like like nuclear energy blast door type thing. And I'm like, it's not new because every, when they're going to go to warp, everyone puts on those really weird looking. I've got a bunch of rings in the center of my uh, chest. Uh, oh, in, you mean in, in um, engineering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, those are, those is, those stick around through. The, I was I've forgotten that those those are still in Wrath of Khan. Oh, sure, sure. And I I think they some background actors have them all the way up until um, Undiscovered Country. Oh, it definitely. You are the cook unit. Now that we've reached the replacement of Ilya with the robot replica, mm-hmm. can we talk about why she was sent back in a miniskirt, bathrobe, and foreign shields? Foreign shields. Be- she's because wearing heels. horny white men. Oh, she's heels. wearing because heels. Oh, yeah. A, or in this case, horny space clouds. I mean, like it's like the space oh clouds sent her back in heels. It's, it's so gross. just so. It's just awful. I think. There's I think customer, is, yeah. is the robe supposed to maybe be Ilya's robe and like Kirk oh, hands wait. it to her or something? Isn't she sent back naked? Yeah, she's sent back naked and then and then he hands her the robe. I but don't the heels. That. She's just in the heels. Yeah, it's so it's so gross. Yeah, talk about runaway male gaze. It's I did just, not. Yeah. I did not see that when they open this. The yeah. when the when the that she's in the the fog, and then they open uh-huh. her up. She's in the robe, isn't she? I know she's naked, and then she she goes behind a like a a partition that's uh, fog. I, I think it's and a shower. Gets to, I must have blinked. Yeah. <laughs> It's so gross. It's so wrong. But, but the heel. I mean, the, you can find a way around. Oh, that was her. That was her robe. That was. It. But the heels is just. It's appalling that she's walking around in those heels. You know, it's just so. They, I mean, it's appalling from a from a gross, skeevy, sexist seventies sense, and it just makes absolutely no story sense that something that literally does not understand that carbon based life forms are sentient would. Would be like, but she should definitely have those heels. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Well, and and also to the point, the next thing that happens is Kirk goes to Decker and like, hey, you guys used to you know knock boots. Why don't you go uh, <laughs> see if you can get some uh, information out of Let's her? See if you can and if you got to sleep with her, go right ahead. I mean, it's, <laughs> he doesn't it, say that. No, but it's it's inferred. <laughs> I did not feel that was inferred at all. He says spend time with her. 
Mm-hmm. What, and what is, how does Kirk spend most of his time with the female gender? <laughs> okay, so it's time to talk about Kirk Drift. Oh, go for it. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> There's an essay that, that I will send you guys. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a dense essay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the gist <laughs> is, the gist is we totally have a mass cultural misremembering of Jim Kirk. Oh, He's not particularly promiscuous. He's not particularly brash. He's not particularly rebellious. These are not characteristics exhibited by Jim Kirk on the original series. It isn't he, until the movies. Well, and then that the theory of it is that the movies start to become more and more of it. Uh-huh. And then you get the reboot movies and they're just, it's that he's a cartoon of that, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And you really, you go back and you look at it. And I, and in this, in this essay, they run the numbers. Um, and we'll have to link to this essay in the, in the show notes. They run sure. the numbers and there are basically like, he has like three consensual relationships in the course of the entire three seasons. Now wow. there are there are past there are past romantic relationships referenced, but they're all referenced in a way that makes it very clear that this was like an actual relationship. If anything, he's a serial monogamist, but there's nothing that indicates that he is he is promiscuous. He <laughs> uh, many of the women he kisses and or otherwise or is implied to sleep with on the show, there's serious abridgment of uh, consent. He's he, or or he is uh, against of his consent, not hers. Well, consent is consent. It's gross either way. Right. But I want to specify his consent. He's being mind controlled. And I think one of the points that's made is that if it, it was a woman whose consent was so often circumvented for story points, it would have been seen and we miss it because it's a man. Mm-hmm. And also that uh, he often will seduce somebody to distract them, to get information, but it's not, that's not the same thing as being right. promiscuous. And, and but as for the like brash rebellious thing, the, he is described in um, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Somebody talks about knowing who he was at the academy, and they say, you are like a stack of books with legs. <laughs> he he's a big nerd. And sure, he's he can buckle a swash. And we'll talk more about a literary figure that he's sort of based on, I think, next time. Yeah, it's uh, more it's more for that movie. 100%. But this theory is a very interesting one to me. That, but we have mass rem- misremembered it. We all remember it being that way, even though it wasn't that. And some of it is that later later movies and stuff have filled it in that way. So I want us to track Kirk Drift. And I don't think there's much in this movie. No, not at all. He is he is a pretty restrained dude in this. Now, he's obsessed with the ship, and he totally dicks over Decker to get it. But it's not like he's a brash rebellion. You know, he's not, you know, and, and he has absolutely no romantic stuff. I think also we'll, I want to put a pin in the fact that moving forward in these movies, they pretty much forget the events of this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this movie is never referenced in any way, shape, or form. To the point where there is a movie uh, in a couple that kind of takes the same idea, and there's no talk of, could this be another V'ger? Like, they're just like, we're not going to mention the V word ever again. Well, nobody ever says in this, (laughs) could this be another Nomad? Because this is basically the plot of the Changeling from the original series. That's true, too. It's, It's really, it really is kind of almost a remake of that. It's so funny that there are things, and this is all Star Trek, where they will forget something that happened 
either on a previous series, forget, you know, the writers will uh, omit it, but somehow everyone who goes to V'ger, we're there, we can say what V'ger is, knows exactly what the Voyager 5 was. Like, they're all like, oh, yeah, that's totally that. I'm like, what? that happened hundreds of years ago. But, you know, but this is this is a big thing, I think. It's Star Trek is the, it's the Ur fan franchise, right? Yep. It's, the, it's the first thing where real fandom becomes a, and a relationship between the people who make it and the fans becomes mm-hmm. a, a real thing. And continuity is like often the flashpoint there because the people who make it, they were making disposable television. They did not sure. think that, you know, like all television was disposable in 1966. Nobody thought there was going to be parsed and fixed. So, yeah, we'll make up a bunch of numbers and that's a star date. Uh, oh, Kirk is this. No, he, now he's also this. So who cares about continuity? They're basically the same people week to week and we're not going to work. But then the fans come in and fans worry about continuity. And and this franchise has a lot of back and forth on that. I mean, like we were talking about before, suddenly the Klingons look different. You know, we're not going <laughs> to explain. There's no mention. There is no way you could do that today and not talk about why. Right. You'd have to explain it because, you know, the internet would go nuts. The internet go nuts about something? Never. Never. What was the original star date in the original Star, star Trek? Huh. You mean on the, the, the what? The, Where no man has gone before? Stardate, was it? What? Yeah. No, the original, the original, he'd say, you know, star date. Oh. So, so yeah, the first were, episode, were, yeah. So they were because in in this one it's seven yeah. something. This is about the time, the first time that they start kind of trying to make sense out of them instead of just making a string of numbers. I think the one that does it the best is the Kelvin timeline. It's simply the year, point, whatever day of the year it is. So today would be, uh, let's see, today would be start date twenty twenty one point. Uh, Three, two. No, it's not three, three two. two. It's of uh, three hundred and sixty-five days. So, like uh, this year, December, oh. uh, New Year's Eve will be start date twenty twenty one three sixty-five. See, I kind of hate that, <laughs> just because it would. It's bad enough that you would presume that a interstellar federation would keep time based on the way they do it on Earth. It's ahead of the federation. Yeah, but. That's not even the year for everybody on Earth. That's true, too. That's not how everybody on Earth keeps time. Are you trying to tell me years. there's kind of like a bunch of white dudes wrote this and didn't care yes. about other cultures? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like the thing that, that came up in, in, you know, it's it, it's a good episode when you first meet a Bajoran on, on Deep Space Nine. But to have to have... Everybody like be kind of like have to be educated on the concept that some that this is an alien culture where family name comes is 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 mentioned first and and personal name comes second when it's like you know there's like a couple billion people on this planet who do that right <laughs> um, point of order uh, the Majorans were introduced on. Next Generation Ensign Row it's Ensign yeah. Row yeah I was starting to think of it as Deep Space Nine but right. But that is just one of those, like, Euro-American-centric things that pop yep. up. So, But, yeah, no, Mom, I think that the, the star dates were on, on the original series were largely made up. Mm-hmm. They just tossed it out there. And this is about the first time that they tried to um, – but I think this is – they do – this is the first time they talk about it being the 23rd century. I think the, the original series is the very late 22nd century. This movie – 
in essence, takes place four years after the last season of Star Trek because it, it was on a five-year mission. And then two years after that five-year mission ended, though it had been a decade. And some of the actors actually <laughs> were worried about coming back and how much they had aged in that decade. Ordained weight. Yeah. So. <laughs> and after this, they kind of embraced it like, oh, they're all getting a little old to be, you know, this the, the crew of the uh, flagship of the Federation. Sir, I've located the source of Vija's radio signal. It's directly ahead. They find out that this this I, I don't know are they are they some sort of mach- race of living machines that uh, Voyager I may have said Voyager five earlier. It's, it's six. Voyager six. It, it's Voyager it was six. six. Yeah. Uh, but like they're saying that like the probe got damaged, got off course, they lost contact with it, um, and it it went went to a machine planet machine planet and then yeah. they integrated with it and they think another race of living machines distributed it so they come back to the the source of the message which is earth and viger and this entire thing that they're on is surprised that the carbon based life forms that they've been pretty much poo-pooing the entire time are the creator uh, yeah the grand scheme is to have uh, the creator, Deckard, and um, Aaliyah. I called her Valia in my notes because she's Viger, Aaliyah mm-hmm. put together. So, oh, yeah. uh, so Deckard and Valia. And, and the Aaliyah probe, right? Yeah, become, become one. Gross. That effect didn't work for me at all. Well, it's such a goofy effect with his hair blown up. Because all it is, yeah, it, the they're standing it. on a fan. That's all they're doing. Special effects were nice. The sparkly thing. Yeah, it's, all right. it, it's a very strange ending. I will say this, though. I get what they're going for. I mean, look, this is this is the last time that they really go for that part of Star Trek that was uh, in the films that was like weird, talky, philosophical you know, the, the machine is trying to find the creator and it's aren't we all looking for God or a father figure? And like, nobody talks like that in any of the other movies except, well, one more time. And it doesn't work very well then either. It sure um, doesn't. But I, I wonder, I wonder if there's an alternate world where this movie was given more time, where Doug Trumbull was available from the beginning so they weren't rushed, where they yeah. were able, where, where you Probably not, because it's just not the way movies go in the 80s, but where you could have had more talky, thoughtful, philosophical sort of things. I, I get what they're going for, that. Uh, speaking of who it was that, that Voyager ran into, did you catch Spock's one line there? When he discusses the fact that the cloud, you know, is coming to Earth and, and they're very near Earth, uh, it, he he says, it because he, you know, understands the power of Voyager, he says, any show of resistance will be futile. Oh, I missed that little little precursor to the that, Borg. Yeah, but it, well, but that's, some people have fan theories. Mm, yeah, that V'ger, uh Decker becomes the Borg. Yep. Wow. Oh, that's very interesting. There, there, that would be cool. Yeah, there are things where the Borg talk about being like thousands of years old. So no, but you the know. thing with when Spock came back. Uh-huh. After he, first of all, is that thing supposed to be breathing? Is that why it keeps going in and out when he times oh, it to go through it? Is that supposed to be breath? I, I think it's certainly supposed to do to be giving a sort of biomechanical, you know, living machine thing. 
it's not the part of the body it most reminded me of. No, it's definitely the butthole. <laughs> Never mind. But there, in the director's yeah. cut, once he goes in, there's a and it once I don't remember seeing it in the in the the, the theatrical cut. It looks like at first of all when you look like when you look at it, it looks like a woman laying on her back with her legs up. Uh-huh. And then as he gets closer to it, it becomes the tail of a whale. I mean, it's really yeah. weird. Well, and well, also, the, you know, the opening and closing, if it's the legs oh, yeah. of a woman, it's... <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, what I was thinking. If that, that's yeah, what, the penetrative imagery is is not particularly well, especially since The way that it's, it's flowering open and close. I mean, yeah, it's... But that whole sequence is, I mean, I don't know when the last time either of you watched 2001. It is, that is the most indebted to 2001 that this Even film the, gets. the color of the, the spacewalk suit that he's yeah, wearing. the EVA the suit looks very symptom. much, very much like those. And, and, but it, it is, you know, that whole sort of, we're going to see the crazy effect and then we're going to see the effect on the person's face and we're going to cut back to the crazy effect. It's, it's very much what is much more successfully done for the last 15 minutes or so of 2001. Do you have that favorite bad movie you can't help but love? Or good movie your friends have never heard of that you demand they all see? Then the Never Heard of It podcast is for you. We're your hosts, Michael Fight and Caleb, and we scour the streaming universe, discovering movies you've likely never heard of and giving them a chance to help you plan your next movie night. Will it be good? Will it be bad? Will it have an animatronic snake coming out of the toilet? The only way to find out is by joining the Never Heard of It podcast each week, wherever you get podcasts. Action stations, action stations, set condition one throughout the podcast. I'm your host and SC1 actual, Caleb. I'm your host and XO, Kitsy. I'm your host, Andrea, and I don't know what any of that means. Welcome to Set Condition 1, a Battlestar Galactica fancast. Each week, we revisit, and I watch for the first time, the 2004 sci-fi series Battlestar Galactica. Whether you're the commander of a soon-to-be decommissioned battleship, or unexpectedly promoted to president of the 12 colonies, join us as we make our way through the Battlestar Galactica universe, one episode at a time. I still don't know what you're talking about. Set Condition 1. A Night Shift Radio production. New episodes every week at Condition one throughout the podcast.com. Now that I understand. When they first came up on it, I mean, and they were all looking at it, everybody seemed to have a look of awe uh-huh. or a look of interest or a look of uh, concern. And Sulu had helter-skelter eyes. I mean, he looked like he was... I mean, it was weird yeah. how he looked. He, and it's like, come on! It was weird. And it went on forever. It wasn't like... The, I didn't need to see... I was like, good grief, Charlie Brown. There's showing where there should be telling, and there's telling where there should be mm-hmm. showing. Um, you know? good, good point. Did, did Spock gain new superpowers... Since the series, was he an empath? Well, not an empath. He's a. Te- I mean, all all Vulcans have tel- have some telepathy. They're usually touch telepaths, right? When they first come up on the cloud, he kind of walks forward, does the Spock thing, goes, "I'm sensing no." Like he gives a Deanna Troy level, like I'm not feeling any. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, hang on. Spock's not an empath. <laughs> it it all fell off to me that too. I mean, I think the idea is that that 
the that V'ger's mind is so powerful that it can reach him even on Vulcan. So that he, yeah. what, where usually he would have to be a touch telepath. Right. The broadcast signal of V'ger's mind, as it were, can reach. But why only him? And why? And why so, they never they never specify why V'ger speaks to Spock. Oh, I know than, why. Other it, than. Because he yeah. touched him. He did, didn't he do a mind meld with him no, or try? No, no. It's it's long before that. On oh, Vulcan, yeah, well, okay, yeah, it happens yeah. because he has pointed ears and it's radio waves. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, it's it, – yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem to happen for any reason other than – Oh, we want we want to move Spock forward as a character, so we have to get him. You know. Well, I thought it was interesting that Spock, when he came back uh-huh. in the theatrical, when they when he's in sick bay in the theatrical, I seem to remember him laughing, and Jim turns around and goes over to him, but he's not laughing in the interesting um, hmm. director's cut. But he cries in the director's cut, he which sure is does. not in the which is not in the oh the crying the theatrical. is the crying is not no in the, it's uh, not oh. but that scene with him crying helped tie it together because he said he it felt he felt nothingness he felt who am I which is all things that Spock is feeling exactly who, yeah, yeah. A, yeah. who am I I mean am I Vulcan am I human. I feel nothingness. I can't feel. I, 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 it, to me, it tied it all in, and it made more sense oh, to me. That makes once. so much oh, yeah, more sense. Spot crying. Was the, Spot crying? Was not in the theatrical result. There's the, the whole part where he talks about um, Feijer as a child. Does that happen in the? Yes. Yes, yeah. Because I think that's a really important part. You know. Yeah, he's yeah. having a temper tantrum. Yep. <laughs> yeah, wasn't he though? Well, yeah, yeah and, and Bone says, "What are we going to do? Spank it?" It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, Doctor Spock does not advocate spanking. <laughs> well, the other thing that I found interesting about Spock, and I think this is should probably was all in my notes when. They had the Aaliyah, whatever her we call her, laying down. They were doing the scan of her, mm-hmm. and she turns around, and she sees Decker, and she says, Decker. Mm-hmm. And Spock says, fascinating, mm-hmm. not Decker unit. Yeah. It's the only time Spock says fascinating in that movie. Right. Yeah. And he said that a lot in the original series. Well, it's and the that, only fascinating thing that happens in this movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing. I thought, you well, know, I don't know. That breathing thing was kind of fascinating. Well, that's an interesting point because there now, if you were taking a cult popular television series and turn it into a movie, that kind of that, the name for that mom is fan service, right? The fans know he wants to say, you know, that we get we only get a little bit of fan service here, right? We get we get obviously all the loving shots of the Enterprise. We get. Uh, we get fascinating. We get one nerve pinch. Uh, we don't get. We, Bones never even says, "Damn, Damn it, Jim, Jim, I'm a blank, not a, a doctor, not a blank." You know, right? Um, it was the guy who got bone pinched, bone uh, nerve pinched. He got his face in, toward it. He got his face on. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was nice. Letter Nimoy to like turn him. <laughs> like, right. get in camera, son. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. So Valia has like almost that like echo effect on her voice where it's like four yeah. or five different layers. But when she says Decker and when Decker shows her something that brings back a memory, it goes back to normal Aaliyah mm-hmm. voice. And the first time it happened, I, I was like, oh, someone forgot to do the special effect on this one line. But I was like, oh, I think this is a choice. I think it is like. The I the essence of Aaliyah being inside this probe is coming out. Like, I, right. I don't know. There's that, something there that's not explored enough for, for me to make a, a full assumption on. It's just, it, it's the germ of an idea. Well, 
it is the German idea, and it never gets developed properly in the movie. Probably because, like, they probably should have gotten to that replacement faster, and then they could have spent more time with her coming out of it and and the real her her brain patterns surfacing, and you know. It just what you're telling me is we need less shots of the Enterprise and more character development. It's just and, everything. And less shots of the Avenger. Some things just happen way too late, and some things happen way too early. And it's mm-hmm. just, in addition to just being slow, it, there's just a herky jerkiness about the storytelling in this movie, where nothing seems to kind of be either, like some things aren't given enough time. It, it's a very, it's a mess, and 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 it makes sense. I totally believe that. That even the director's cut represents a decades later attempt to fix an unfinished movie that went to the movie theater. Right. Yeah. Jim, as much as you wanted the Enterprise, I want this. Viger and Decker and the Aaliyah probe all become one. They go off into space, creating a new life form. Uh, Earth is saved. Hooray. Yeah. Kirk is now just captain. He's just like, hey, guess what? I'm captain of the ship now. But yet in the next movie, this is, again, leading to all the things that they just want to ignore this movie. He's an admiral again. Well, he never – I don't think he – so he is referred to as captain because he is he is in command of the vessel, but his rank in Starfleet doesn't change. It's still admiral. Okay. Right. Um, so, he still had his ambulance. Well, and he's, he's very bad at giving uh, orders because he just goes – Out there. That way. And I wanted Sulu to turn around and go, look, I know what you're trying to do right now, but if I don't lay in an actual course, we're going to go into a damn star. Where are we going? <laughs> it's a good last line. But that whole last scene is so weird. It's so it's so upbeat and jocular. It actually is very much – like that is almost the most it felt to me like the original series. It's a and very guess, slide whistle ending to this movie. Yeah. I get – I get that that's what they were kind of going for. Like, finally, we're back where we're supposed to be. We've gotten the gang totally back together. Spock is 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 fixed, and you know, we're mm-hmm. you know we got rid of those pesky uh, those pesky kids who were yeah. making googly eyes at each other on the bridge, and it's now just the seven people you wanted to spend time with. But it, it is that sort of like thing that would happen on the on the original series where they would have to kind of be the the, the upbeat jocular ending even though it was like we just came from a planet of nazis you know <laughs> right <laughs> boy those crazy space nazis yeah um <laughs> so okay so that's star trek the motion picture or as i'm going to name it star trek the motion list picture well remember when i watched it the first time i texted you halfway through and said is this movie as bad as i think it is <laughs> the answer is <laughs> Yes, and that leads to our first series of questions we have here. All right. Is this a good movie? Nope. I'm going to go ahead and say no. Nope, nope, nope. (laughs) Colin? I think I find it more watchable than you guys do, um, but it's not a very good movie, no. Well, the special effects are good because they were so far out there than what we were used to seeing, but it served its purpose. It put Star Trek back into the public, which is they were clamoring yeah, for. Yeah. That's what they wanted. A hundred percent. So it did serve that purpose, and it made money. Yeah, well, and, and that and that's what Paramount cared about. What? Yeah. So is this good Star Trek? Yes, it is. It is space exploration. The story itself is a good Star Trek story. How is executed yeah. is such garbage. But yeah, the main idea of this story—I mean, it's revisited in three movies. So uh, yes, this is a—is this a good Star Trek? What do you think, Mom? As, as a separate question from it being good movie, is it good Star well, Trek? Well, 
at the time it was, mm-hmm. but as they released the later the later later movies, then no, it wasn't. So we can revisit each movie as we go along. Like now that we have Wrath of Khan, now that we have Search for Spock, does like when we finish Search for Spock, do Wrath of Khan and Motion Picture still count as good Star Trek? Do <laughs> when we get to Voyage Home, do you know we'll just keep keep ranking those movies as we go along? Well, I agree with you that it it is a good Star Trek in that it's it's it the premise of Star Trek was you know the where no man has gone before mm-hmm. and they're still doing that. They're yeah. even though they're near Earth and they go they're still doing that. They're going out there. Yeah. Yeah, I I you know this is this is my one thing on which I think I will defend this film is that I get what they were going for. They wanted big, thinky, you know, they wanted um, the most philosophical and interesting version of Star mm-hmm. Trek, which there there are episodes and moments that do that yeah. in that original series. And that was what that was the part of that they wanted to harness. And it's one of the last times they really harness it. Um, there, there are other there are other movies that have really good um character arcs and development there are others that ask interesting moral questions this is the only one that gets like you know granted maybe only freshman dorm room level philosophical (laughs) but still philosophical like you know don't we all want to know our creator and know there's more to us and you know we turn to a father figure or an authority figure to like give our lives meaning Mm -hmm. um you know that's that that it's just like part of the human condition, uh, and it's I I love that this movie wants to explore that. I wish that it did it like a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a good follow up to that would be to explore where the new being went and what he what they did, what it did, what she he uh, whatever they you use you use the correct pronoun there. Yeah, they what they did I, I, and how they. Adapted and did they grow and did they have kids and did they meet other? There are novels. Uh, oh, really? Are there really? Oh, yeah. Oh, about feature? There's a not. Yeah. Wow. There are novels about everything. I'm oh. not interested at all. No. <laughs> uh, so that leads to the next question. Would you recommend this to someone as their introduction to Star Trek? Uh, that's a hard no for me. Well, have they seen two Star Trek movies or two Star Trek, period? This is it. This is how they are introduced to Star Trek. Hey, you want to see Star Trek? This is where I'm going to show no, you. No, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, no. No, yeah. this is no. This absolutely is, not. I don't think they would understand it. It's not even understanding it. It's just boring. Well, I had to watch it four times before I understood it. I had to watch the but, director's cut to get Spock crying before I finally understood it. First time I watched it, it was like, <laughs> What? It's like 2001. I've watched it three or four times. I still don't understand. Well, that's just Kubrick. Kubrick's on his own planet. So, Uh, but that to me, that's the difference between a a movie like 2001. I've seen I've seen 2001 like 12 times. I I understand it on some level, but every time I see it, I go, "Okay, yeah, I thought I understood it." But but it's not because it's confusing; it's because there's more. It's like an onion, right? right. It's like I can peel another layer and get more. This is more just kind of confusing. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm definitely not crapping on on Kubrick at all. I I personally don't like his movies, but I see the appeal and I see 
why people like it. It's not a it's not a Quentin Tarantino situation for me. I think Kubrick is a good director. I just it's it's not the movies for me. So have you seen Paths of Glory? I have not. You should see Paths of Glory. All right. It's so good. That'll be my last one. That's my last Kubrick. He lost me at two in two thousand one with the monkeys and the bones and <laughs> it's like what? Oh that's that's the simplest part of the movie that man has always uh been out to destroy for the gain of themselves. Also, people love monkeys. What are you gonna, not going to have monkeys? Oh, yes, we love monkeys. Well, so I, what, we, we kind of covered this already, but I wanted to, as, as we recap each movie, do a little Kirk Drift status update. This is, again, <laughs> you know, is is the movie version of Kirk drifting into becoming a kind of more like the the pop culture image of him? More, Casey, do you know who Zap Brannigan is? <laughs> From, yeah, he's more Zap Hello, Brannigan. Hello, I'm Zap from, Brannigan. <laughs> from Futurama, who's a, who's a sort of parody of that. He's just a big asshole in space who's trying to sleep with everything that moves kind of guy. He's being what, what pop culture has made Kirk. Right. Uh, and I really think this movie doesn't do that. Like, it, one thing that, that really was having so ingrained in my head the versions of these actors that they became in the later films is just – is then – I, and and also having the versions from the original series, but having spent a lot less time with this film for all the reasons we've been discussing, is how much they they actually seem young. Like they seem more like they're who they were in sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine mm-hmm. than who they were in nineteen ninety. Particularly people like Jim James Doohan or or Shatner. That may even be you know uh, like he he hasn't turned into movie Shatner quite as much yet. No. No, not at all. Yeah, that's a good point that, like, and I, and I said it earlier, like, as the movies go on, they lean into the age of the characters, but I, I'll, I'll put, we'll put a pin in, does that aging make sense with the ship itself? Next would be, what's your favorite or the best moment in the film? When the credits started rolling at the end. <laughs> No, 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 no. There, no, it's it's the moment that mom pointed out when Decker comes at him with, uh, you know, as the commanding officer, and the you are exactly right. <laughs> like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's that. that You're pulling Starfleet on me. All right, fine. Yeah. How but, about you, mom? Oh god, I gotta go through the whole movie in my head. Oh god. No, <laughs> no, that was a, that was a good moment. But oh, when he when they the three of them are in the in. The ready room or something, and he yeah. just, he, Kirk says to Spock, "Sit down." And, <laughs> and Bone sits down, and they talk, and he goes, "Sit down," and then Kirk sits down, and finally he goes, "Sit down." Spock, <laughs> yeah. will you just down, sit down? And he's, and he's just straight up. I mean, he does. Bones is leaning back, Kirk's <laughs> leaning back, and. Spock is like ramrod straight. It was like, yeah. It's like, just yeah, sit down. I mean, the ri- there's not enough humor in this movie, but when they do, it, it does work. There's no, like, I think I think this will be an interesting thing that we'll track throughout these is uh, good is when Star Trek humor works and when Star Trek humor doesn't work. Mm, boy. The, all the humor in this is is like the right humor for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of fun, character-based. I actually like both those those moments, but my favorite has got to be when when... The first time well, when he says, when he when Spock calls him Jim, oh yeah, and then that just that scene where you see all of that tension release out of Nimoy, and 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 there is a track from that all the way to a moment in six that we'll talk about where you it's a it's a there's there is a journey for Spock 
in, in becoming who he becomes as a, as a mature man and Vulcan. Well, right. During that scene in, in the sick bay, there was a point where they did a close-up on Spock, and it looked like, almost like he was trying to smile, but he was trying not to smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it came very close. But like I said, in the theatrical re- release, he was laughing. But yeah. you did, he didn't see him laughing. He was off screen laughing, and Jem turns around and goes over to him. And then they had the crying scene up on the. Uh, the crying scene to me was just, I mean, it just, it really got me. Yeah, that's a good scene. We'll get another Spock crying scene in a later film that may may take my best moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in a uh, uh, Star Trek movie I don't really like. Well, in the next one, you can ask me what's the worst moment, and I'll tell you right off the bat what it is. Well, here we go. Yeah, yeah what's the moment you would cut? Uh, in the in the in not this oh in this one what's the moment I would cut I would cut about two minutes out of the the Starfield. reviewing of the <laughs> reviewing of the, um, the the them going to the ship and then I'd cut about five minutes out of the spot going into Vidra. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was what? just too much. They could have done some, that time. They could have, like Colin said, developed more of the characters and how they were reacting to each other. It was yeah. just it was like it was like somebody said, oh, I've got all these new. Things. Oh, I'm just like a kid in a candy shop. Oh, let's do this. 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 And it was like, come on. Much like George Lucas did with the prequels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, you're absolutely right there, Mom. Yeah. It's a, it, it happens all the time. Filmmakers get a new toy and they forget mm-hmm. that it's only interesting to people if it's telling an interesting story. Oh, my God. Good point. That, that, yeah. makes, that reminds me. How had the split diopper just come out? No, no. Because Robert Wise loves the split diopter. Robert Wise in general loves in camera tricks. Oh my he, it's, god. It's a thing of him what as a director. He, okay. So it's a it's a diopter lens. Diopter. Okay, so the lens, the camera lens is like this. It's like this. They then put two smaller ones that lop over each other at different focal ranges. So, like, uh, when Aaliyah first enters the bridge, she's in focus, but so is Decker. But Deckard is right there. One of them would be out of focus in a normal camera. Usually okay. in, a, in a normal camera setup, if something is in the foreground and something is in the background, they cannot be both in focus. If you give a diopter shot, you can do both. Now, okay. today, they do them all the time digitally. Right. Yeah. You, you know who else loves them? Spielberg loves them. They're all over Jaws. He loves those. Tons of diopters. And, and yes, and the Hitchcock put the, Doom's Ollie. He loves Zoom Doom's Dolly. Ollie. Oh, Zoom, Zoom Dolly. Dolly. Damn it, we both did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. The, the Wise, Wise, if you look at Wise's films, he he like, I mean, not so much the, the big musicals, but like, have you guys ever seen The Haunting? No. No. That's a great movie. It's a great movie. He is a very good. Do not let this movie turn you off, Robert Wise, as a director. I like West Side Story. I think it's it's fine. Well, but think about how successful West Side's large portions of West Side Story are without any dialogue and just Mm -hmm. music. So he's trying that again with starships instead of dancing teenagers, and it doesn't work. (laughs) Sure doesn't. It's super boring. But but it's the same idea. I mean, it really is this uh, sort of pure expression of cinema idea. On on my hit podcast, uh, the Superpod Hero Cast, on the same network, um, (laughs) we have something available wherever podcasts are sold. (laughs) I love them, too. Um, 
we do something where we say the actor having the most fun, who's who's really shining in the movie. I think here Colin put it perfectly uh, that we, he wanted to use that same thing, but a myriad of brothers working together. Uh, we're going to call this the admiral status actor. Who 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 really shone for you in this movie, Mom? Uh, you know, I really. Having not really known what her background was, uh, Aaliyah, uh-huh. and, and then what Colin brought out about her, and how she acted before she got taken over, I thought she was very good. Especially as the robot, she kept her. She, you know, she turned. She wouldn't turn her head. She turned her whole body. I thought mm-hmm. she was very good. Yeah, she's pretty you good. Know, since she, she had never done a Star Trek movie before, I don't think. Even though you said she auditioned. I just, I well, she, if she had been cast on the series, she, she'd done other things despite the fact she's done here as presenting versus Kambada. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. yeah I, I just liked her. I, I think she stood out. She was, she also, she is, um, she is from, as far as I know, from India. Yeah, she was um, a model. Yeah, but it's just uh, pretty far, I mean, look, she she's there because she's a stunning mm-hmm. woman, but, like, she was, you know, just South Asian representation that was going to be a long time coming to probably any franchise. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know. Oof. Uh, How about you, Colin? Oh, it's it's Nimoy. Oh uh, yeah, it's ne- it's Nimoy. Nimoy. Nimoy's for me. Nimoy's the best thing. I mean, actually, I think when he's doing more than staring at screens, Shatner's pretty good in this movie too, and DeForest Kelly is always great. But Leonard Nimoy, if only because, like I said, he's the only one who's given an actual character arc to play. Yeah. Yeah. You Except know? when he smashes the computer, which just looked like it's when he smashed it, it looked like a bunch of marbles because they all bounced up. <laughs> it yeah. was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, when V'ger's trying to communicate, yeah. he's like, oh, I'll and, smash it. <laughs> and, and, and what's his face can't do anything, and he pulls him back and smashes it, and all these marbles just... Bounce I just over. wanted I wanted Scotty to be there and be like, do you know how long it took me to put all those keys in there? <laughs> you son of a... You're right. Um, so I was thinking if we could think of a recommended episode pairing, hmm. like an episode of Star Trek that we think if somebody would want to watch like as a double feature with this movie. Huh. Uh, for me, it's got it for this. It's the Changeling. It's the same damn story. Oh, uh, that's true. And the Changeling is a pretty good episode. Uh, so it's actually a, this story told in. A much in much shorter and with more interesting. Uh, yeah, I have no recommendation because I could not even begin to do that. Um, yeah. If you want to see uh, Mystery Alien, what does it mean? Uh, I, I encounter at Farpoint. Yeah, um, it's got yeah. a lot of the same vibe. I mean, there's the whole saucer separation of the Enterprise D that is to the same song that is like. <laughs> It is easily two and a half minutes long. You're just like, this does not need to be this long. Is this going to happen every time they do saucer separation? Okay, so uh, last question Colin had was uh, ranking the movie in order of liking them. This movie has always sat pretty far down on the list for me. And uh, no surprise here, it's still there. I don't know if it's the worst. I have to wait till we get to what I think is the worst. It's in the bottom at least three. It's honestly, oh, right now, I'm, everyone got it at number eight. What? Oh yeah, 
I think there are worse movies than this. Oh, my God. I can't wait to hear the rest of those. That'll be for another time, though. Oh, wow. Eight? Eight. Shit. Okay. Um, I can't, I went and looked at Nerdist last night because that's what I was going to do. Uh-huh. And like I said, I was looking at looking at the synopsis of all of them, and it's like, there's a couple of them I don't think I've seen, so I'm going to have to go back. And, that, yeah. That's going to be really fun when we get to ones you haven't seen, except no, I bet they they're were, probably they not were, They were in the middle. My, if, I were to, if, if I were to rank in order, it would be two, six, four, first contact, three, generations, beyond, motion picture, Star Trek 09, Insurrection, five, Nemesis, Into Darkness. Wow, you went into the darkness below five. Into dark, in, into darkness is 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 bad. It is. Did you say search for Spock? It, three. Yeah, search. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, okay. that, I think I think search for Spock is the fifth best. Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, it's pretty good. There are no marshmallows in Into Darkness. Yeah, that's sad. I love the marshmallows. Um, but yeah, a lot of people crap on search for Spock. You know, with the whole odd. Yeah, uh, movie, but I'm like, it's it's a solid film. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it has it's it's not it's good. It it happens to be between two of the best, and that, and, that and, doesn't help. And, it. and the fact that it's so dark, and then we go so goofy yeah. with four. Last time I watched four, Danny walked through and she goes, "Why is this so silly?" I'm like, <laughs> "Because it's Voyage Home. Yeah. It's a weird, fun movie about humpback whales." I liked that one. Well, I, I have a story when we get to that one, too. I, I remember seeing that one very very vividly. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So which ones hadn't you seen, Mom? You've seen all the, you've seen all the original cast ones. They're next generation ones you haven't seen, right? Have you seen all the reboot ones? All the, all the ones where the new cast with Chris Pine and all them. Oh, yeah. You saw Star Trek Beyond? Yeah. I liked yeah. Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. Well, we're not, are we going to review those? Yep. Yeah. That's part of this. We're going straight okay. through. It, what have I got? Hey, it counts. As what have it, I got myself we got, into? We got Nimoy. We've got Spock. So it's Spock Prime, but we've got Spock. It, it all counts yeah. as one continuous story. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, this was okay. a lot of fun. Right? I did you agree. have fun, Mom? I did. So that's all we have for the Captain's Log for Star Trek The Motion Picture. Join us next time for Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. And, uh, Brief note, for any movie that has a director's cut, much like with Star Trek The Motion Picture, we will be doing the director's cut. So be ready for that for this next coming one and for Star Trek VI. They can be a little tricky to track down, so do your research. Sure can. Uh, as we found with this one. this was <laughs> How long is it? What's the color of the sky on Vulcan? Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, so, Colin... Where can people send you uh, Priority One messages if they'd like to send them to you? Uh, I can be reached at Subspace Twitter, uh, <laughs> Roll of Colin Ryan. My Subspace Twitter is not Ryan Casey. My Subspace Instagram, Colin's Afraid of Instagram, is not dot Ryan Casey. And for the podcast, you can find the podcast directly at Where No Mom Pod. So that's all we have for this episode of Where No Mom Has Gone Before. Uh, thank you for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, Mom, would you like to take us out with our with our phrase? We have been, and shall always be, your podcast. <laughs>